Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be able to spend this time with you. I've got to tell you that it's, I'm incredibly honored to, to be here because I have heard so much about the culture of Divergent and to get to experience it is it really is my privilege. And I just want to thank you for according me the, the honor of being here and spending time with you over the weekend, guys. It's been so good. Um, before we get into it, I, I just want to say thank you so much for that exhortation this morning. I my heart leapt, and, and I, I want you to hear something. This is really important. I don't know what you heard when Cade was exhorting us this morning, but as he was exhorting us, my spirit's leaping, and I hear God saying, this is what Paul meant when he said, you got many teachers, but few fathers. You see, a father is not someone who's older. A father is someone who cares. A father is someone who will do the hard yards and tell us what we don't want to hear, as well as comforting us and hanging out and doing the, the easy things, the good things. A father will also do the hard things. A father is the one who, long after the kids have gone to bed, when the kids are enjoying life, are down on their hands and knees, praying and interceding for them. And I heard God say, you have the heart of a father for this congregation, for this family, for this house. And, and I just want to honor you because... No matter, what, no matter what's happening, God breathes on the hearts of fathers in this generation because he's raising up a generation of young people that are going to advance his kingdom and they're led by fathers. Not fathers who are mature in age necessarily, but fathers of faith who carry faith and boldness and are willing to do what fathers do, which is not always comfortable, not always uh, recognized, not always uh, celebrated. And I just want to encourage you and I just want to thank you because I am so blessed by this morning. It is such an honor. Um, I guess I've been around long enough to know that every time you have a visiting speaker, people want to know something about them. Well, let me just tell you the most important thing you need to know about me. And that's on the screen. This is my wife. Um, yeah, oh, she, you should say that oh, because she's half Australian. Exactly. All the good things in our family come from her. We have a, I have a saying. I tell everyone um, that when I meet them and everything else, um, you know, when, when we look, they look at my wife, they look at me, and my daughter is a spitting image of my wife, um, just a little bit younger, and I tell everyone uh, she got her looks in my mouth. But here's what you need to know about me. Everything good in my life has come from either God or my wife. Um, 30 years ago, no, it wouldn't be, about 28 years ago, I was admitted to hospital with a, I was unconscious, I had a temperature of 44 degrees. Uh, I was wrapped up in ice, they didn't expect me to live, uh, and they, they called my wife and she was there, uh, they called her into the ICU, uh, and, and basically they were just preparing her for my death. And she just pushed the registrar aside and the consultant aside, uh, a guy in our church who was uh, a medical consultant had come with her, and she pushed them all aside, and she said, it's not over until my God says it's over. She laid hands on me, and I walked out four days later. Seven years ago, eight years ago, I, I had an operation for my ankle. I, I, I busted a planking. Um, just not the planking you're thinking of. Um, and what happened was uh, all, all went well, but in the recovery room, I'd had a reaction to the... Uh, to the anaesthetic, and I was on morphine uh, because I'd fused the ankle together. And my, my breathing had gone down from something like 70 uh, breaths right down to, uh, to one a minute. And they were trying to stabilise it, and they couldn't because of, the, um, because of the morphine. They had to make a decision. Do we, you know, the pain 
uh, what do we do? And, and they they'd got it up to two beats a minute. And things must have been serious because they, they paged my wife. I, I was coming in and out of consciousness. They paged my wife. They called her in, and, and I have no idea what they said. But I remember her laying hands on me and saying, in Jesus' name, he will live. And uh, that afternoon or that evening, I was sitting up in my, in my room, uh, no pain meds and, and breathing quite naturally. Uh, last year, I had a heart attack, and, and I was um, taken off. It was during lockdown, and um, I was taken off. I know, I'm really unhealthy. <laughs> Maybe she... Anyway, what happened was I'm in the ambulance, and, and they're, they're hooking me up to all these things and, and doing whatever it is that paramedics do. And, and the guy said, are you worried? And I said, not at all. I said, you guys know what you're doing, and even if you don't, my wife's praying, and God's got this. And she prayed, and um, I'm here. And I say that simply because she's not, a, she's not a speaker. She's not anything like that. But she is the most amazing woman I know. And it's her prayers that have kept me, uh, that, that hold me, and that uh, enable me to, to be here today. So that is all you really need to know about me. She's not bad. Hey, before, we, before I open up the word, I just want to tell you a little story about something that happened a couple of weeks ago. I was helping a friend of mine move some stuff, and um, being good Kiwi blokes, we, we decided it was cheaper for us to do it, move his house, than it was to employ somebody to do it. So we, we, we got a trailer, and we hooked it up to his car, and we were moving stuff. And um, I was driving several times, several of the loads, and there was a, a drag on the trailer because of the, the weight of everything on it. And, and I got accustomed to it. And on about the fourth load, we're going down the motorway uh, to, to his new place. And I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, this feels light. And then I looked in my mirror, and there was no trailer. <laughs> and I just want to go on record, it was not me that tried to connect it. What he'd done is he'd put the trailer over the tow ball, but he hadn't really fastened it with that safety thing. And it was good till we went over a bit of a bump. And I tell you that story because I want you to listen as we share the word together um, because at the end, I'm going to ask you to respond because, you see, a trailer isn't really a trailer until it's connected to the tow ball. And if it's not connected right, it can't do what it's meant to do. And if you're not connected to Jesus, it doesn't matter how much you believe, it doesn't matter how much you want, you're not able to be who he calls you to be. You're not able to do what he wants you to do. You need to be securely fastened like the trailer to the tow ball in order for everything to come together for God to, to have his way. So I just want you to think about that because at the end, I'm going to give you an opportunity for, for you to, to connect or reconnect if, it's, if, if you feel like your connection's loose with the tow ball called Christ and the Holy Spirit so that you might be all that God calls you to be. So let's, let's get into it. Uh, the, the reason um, I, I'm excited about life and about ministry and about the next generation is that I think this is the most exciting time for the church. I can't think of a better time to be church than in this generation. You know, I, I think that this generation is so much like the early days of Christianity, where, where people are without hope, where there is so much political and, and so much societal uh, fragmentation and so much opposition, that the dark is getting darker, and it means the light has opportunity to shine brighter than it's ever had before. And I'm excited about these days, and I'm excited for you because you have been created for just such a time as this. You were created to be part of God's uh, hope, to a world that desperately needs it. Of all the seasons and all the places and all the times that you could have been born, God chose you for today. 
And if God doesn't do anything randomly, and the Bible says that you weren't uh, weren't a mistake, it means he planned and purposed you for just such a time as this because he has more confidence in you than you would dare to have in yourself. He sees in you what you don't see in yourself. And this morning, I want to encourage you and begin to call it out because this could be our finest hour. This could be the time when God pours himself out and he stirs our hearts to take hold of the things of God and bring his kingdom to bear in unprecedented ways and see incredible things happen. If you're anything like like New Zealand, you've probably heard people talking about revival and, and you may have even prayed for it. But here's what I tell our church. For there to be revival, that means that first we have to admit that we're sick. For us to pray for revival means that we need to, first of all, recognize we're not where we need to be. We're not doing what we need to do, and we need help. And I think God is is wanting to do that because the world desperately needs hope, and you're called to be a hope carrier in in this generation, to bring God's kingdom to bear as you live out the power and, and the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In John 16, verse 33, Uh, Jesus says, I've told you these things. What things? He said, you're going to have suffering. You're going to have persecution. Not everyone's going to say yes to you. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to appreciate you. Not everybody is going to welcome you. And he says, I've told you these things. Why? So that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now note the contrast between in me and in the world. In Christ there is peace. In Christ you have peace. In Christ, you have what you need. In the world, you have trouble. In the world, you have conflict. In the world, you experience turmoil and anxiety, fear and doubt. In Christ, you have peace. That's what Jesus means. He says, in me, you have peace. In me, you have all that you need. Now, someone once defines uh, adequate resources. Uh, sorry, peace as the possession of adequate resources. Um, I, I, was, I was just thinking about this, and, and I think in Christ we have all the resources that we need, if you think about it. We have what the world can't offer. We have life in all its fullness. John 10.10 10 says, I came to give you life and life in all its fullness. Now, I don't know what that might mean to you, but it means that as good as my life is, it's going to get better. As, as abundant as God's grace is for me today, tomorrow there's even more. As exciting as life is right now, and I've got to tell you that, um, that I think this is the best season of my life for no other reason than that, apart from faith. I have nine grandkids who I just think I get to do parenting all over again, only this time it's all care, no responsibility. It is so good. But life is meant to be full. We have security. The world is struggling. The world is, is fragmented. The world divides. The world cancels people it doesn't agree with because it doesn't want to face itself. We're not troubled by that. We have security in, in our relationship with Christ because we're connected to that tow ball securely, fastened with a safety chain. We have provision. God has covenanted to give us everything that we need. He said, whatever you need, I will give it to you. Not all of our wants, like, I want our rugby team to do better than it has been. It's not going to it, sadly. But we have what we need. God's promised to give us provision, and we have hope. A hope that does not disappoint. I don't know about you, but over the last two years, 
talking to Christians around the world, the one thing that seems to have uh, gone from so many people's life as a sense of hope. As Christians, it's like they've conditioned their faith upon circumstance. And because of COVID, because of lockdowns, because of everything that's been happening around us, anxiety and fear and discouragement's crept in and hope has been drained from people. And yet we have a hope that doesn't disappoint. So therefore, the issue's not with, with God and, and hope. The issue's with us and how we understand it. And he says, in me, you will reconnect with that and you'll have peace, you'll have everything you have. But here's the thing with spiritual resources, they're contingent on a spiritual relationship. If we want to experience all these things, we need to be in Christ, not one foot in Christ and one foot in the world. And maybe if you're here and you're on a journey of discovery and you're not quite at that point of embracing Jesus for yourself, I want, to, I want you to understand something, that the, everything that you know in this world and everything that's brought you to this point, when you become a Christian, you're still going to wrestle with those things, but now you have spiritual resources to deal with them. When, if you give your heart to the Lord the day after when you wake up, you still face the same issues, only now you're empowered with something the world can't give. You're empowered with a hope that doesn't disappoint. You're empowered with, with the full resources of heaven that trump every resource of your circumstance. And that is what gives us what we need. But to access those, you have to be in him. You have to be in Christ, not in the world. And I say that because to make the most of these crazy times in which we find ourselves, to be the church that God calls you to be, you need to, to step out of stuck. You need to step out of complacency. You need to step out of what has been and step into something more. You have to stop living in reaction to circumstances, and you start having to live led by the Spirit of God into the opportunities that are before us. We have to start living more fully by faith than we are by sight. And I know that it sounds easy to say, and I know you know the Scripture as well as I do, but the reality is that I think for most of us, probably one of the best things that we could learn to do is every time we get home from work is put a blindfold on and stop looking at what's around us and start saying, God, would you navigate me from the front door to the kitchen and from the kitchen to the bedroom? And so that you'd be, learn to hear the Holy Spirit leading you because so much of our life is actually shaped by circumstance, by sight and not by faith. And I just think if we could do that, then we can learn to embrace the opportunities and the possibilities that God has for us. Because if nothing else, one of the things that COVID has done, I'm, I'm confident it's around the world, is it has dulled us to possibilities. We've come through it more or less. And the temptation is to try and recapture what, where we were and start again. And yet now we have the opportunity to do something new. And as a consequence, all I want to do this morning is to encourage you to dream. I think it's time for the church to dream again. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Hebrew word for dream literally means to restore to health. When the old, in the Old Testament, when you read about dreams, it's, it's got this concept of being restored to health. So in Psalm 126, verse 1, when God brings the, the, captivity, the captives back from exile, back to their homeland, we read that when the Lord brought them back to Jerusalem, it was like a dream 
In other words, health had been restored because when they were away from where they belonged, they were weak, they had no hope, they they were anxious, they were fearful, they had given up. But once they came back to where they belonged, it was like a dream fulfilled, hope was restored, and they could begin to, to imagine a future again. And I want to suggest that in this post-COVID era, before we settle back into routines, that now's the time to dream, to have health restored, to imagine what can be, and then to pray that God will begin to stir our hearts and strengthen us to press into that, to imagine what God can do through us. Not to have a plan, because a plan is simply what you can do, but to have a dream, because that's what God can do. To say, God, what do you want to do through my life? What do you want to do through my gathering? What do you want to do through Divergent? What do you want to do through, uh, through the, the church in Australia? What do you want to do through the church around the world in these days? And allow him to begin to stir your heart to reach for more because here's what I know about you, that God has bigger dreams for you than you have for yourself. God has more for you than you would dare to imagine and believe for. God has more for you than you would reach for because he's purposed you for just such a time as this. And I say that because here's what I know about life. After after ministry, here's what I've come to appreciate is that it's not what you think about. It's not who you think you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. It's not who you think you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. You see, when we think we're not capable of something, we don't try it. When we think, I'm not like that, I could never, and we, have a, and, and we start operating out of that, that's what holds us back. And the reason I say that is we have to come to terms with this, this principle, if you, if you want to call it that. It's simply this. Identity <laughs> determines behavior. How you see yourself determines how you behave. And if you have a negative view, if you see yourself as incapable of not worthy of, and you see yourself as in a negative way, you're never going to step out in faith. You're never going to take hold with both hands of the fullness of what God has for you because you're looking at what you don't have rather than what you do have. In Christ, you have all the resources that you need, far more than you can imagine or conceive. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. This is speaking of Jesus. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble possession of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Most poignant picture of of the two natures of Christ, the the, the divine and the human, that, that shaped him. and and defined him. Now, let me ask you a question. What did Jesus do his miracles out of? He's 100% human. He's 100% God. The two come together in this most incredible way. What did he do his miracles out of? Because if you think of the implication of what Paul's saying, it's this, that all the miracles that Jesus did All of the things that we read in the New Testament, we marvel and think, if only I could have been there. If only I could have a fraction of that and and just do a a little little bit of that. The implications of what Paul is saying is that everything Jesus did, he did out of his humanity, not out of his divinity. 
not out of fallen humanity, but his, but, but his humanity living in right relationship with God. So that as humanity in right relationship, seeking to be, uh, to, to be reconnected and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that he's not living out of, out of a broken image. He's living out of a restored image. He's living out of how he's been created in, in, in the mother's womb. He, there's no question he's 100% divine and we will never be 100% divine. But the reason I say that is think about this. If Jesus did all his miracles out of his divinity, then how could he, and John 14, 12 say this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Now, let's be honest for a moment. We would be happy with the same works, wouldn't we? Like, I would be happy with praying for someone and seeing them raised from the dead. If I, laid, if I laid hands on someone who, who was dead and they were raised, I'd say, take me now, Jesus. Can't get any better. If I was to take a bucket of water and pray over it, and it became incredible wine, I'd be having a lot of parties. I'd be happy doing what Jesus did. But he says, I'm telling you, anyone who believes in me will do greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You see, I think Jesus tells us that, and Paul understands that, to help us understand that if Jesus calls us to this, we have a responsibility to make sure that we can do all that we can to live in right relationship with God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit through the death and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ so that we can continue the work of the gospel, so that Jesus' um, statement here can be lived out in our generation. It's not just an aspirational thing. We have a responsibility to, to do what we can to begin to connect again, to be who we need to be so that those things become reality. And I simply say that because that is who you are. You see, who we think we're not is the barrier. But when we see this, we begin to see who we are and what is possible. Through the cross of Christ, God has opened up the gate of glory to you and to I, not just for our eternal salvation. No question of that. But it's so we can live today in this generation, in this place, in this city, in this nation, in ways that bring his kingdom of hope to bear as we seek to advance the gospel relationally through, through laying on of hands, through, through whatever it takes. But that can only happen if we seek to do all that we can to connect as firmly and as humbly and as securely as we can with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need all three. See, we've got to remember that God exists in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He doesn't exist by himself. When we're saved, we're saved into internal relationship, but we need the Holy Spirit at work. We're saved in Christ, but we need the Holy Spirit to come and to so infuse us and strengthen us and enable us to then do the greater works that Jesus called us to do. And when we live like that, Anything is possible. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, you know the story well. You know, Jesus, if you're capable, what do you mean I'm capable? Everything is possible for those who believe. The question is, what do you believe? 
See, I'm willing to bet if I was a betting person that you believe in Jesus. I, I don't think that would be up for, up for debate. I'm confident that, that if, you've, if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus. My question is, what do you believe about yourself? You see, when you can close that gap, you can dream again. And you can begin to, rest, you're restored to health as you close that gap. And now you can dream again for the things of God and you can restore health to, to your friends, to your family, to your workplaces. You can restore health to the communities from which you come. You can begin to restore health to the city and through the city to the nation and from the nation to the other to, to the othermost ends of the earth. You know, one of the things growing up for me as a kid was, um, I, well, my teens, I remember, I remember hearing Australia referred to as the great southern land. And it captured something in my heart at the time because we're just a collection of a couple of islands. And, I, and to be fair, I'm very proud of New Zealand. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I, I love my country. Just want to live in a warmer climate, that's all. But the, when I heard great southern land, I began to dream and, and to, to imagine about Australia and imagine, you know, the significance of, of what this country could become. And when I became a Christian, that took on a whole new dimension as I used to begin praying for the nations of the world. And, and I'd just be reminded the great southern land. Imagine if this country became great in, this, in the plans of God for the, for, the, for the other nations of the world. Imagine if your legacy is not what you export, but what you bring to bear as you begin to dream and restore health so that it overflows into other cities, other nations. Does that make sense? You see, let me share with you what God has in mind for you. In Luke chapter 9, verses 10 and 12, we read of a story that you and I are familiar with. If you don't know the reference, the moment you see it on, on screen, you, you're going to, to know what follows. When the apostles returned, remember they'd sent out, they'd cast out the demons, healed the sick, all those things. They told Jesus everything they'd done. And then he slipped quietly away with them toward, toward the town of um, Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodgings for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. The people are feeling overwhelmed. The resources are few. I don't know if you can see yourself in that. I've been there as a pastor. Lord, we don't have anything. Lord, this is beyond us. They are, the, the needs are great and we are few. And I don't know about you, but Jesus doesn't let them off the hook and he doesn't let us off the hook if we're pursuing him. Just as they said to Jesus, why don't you look after them? And maybe you've said the same, God, I've been journeying with this person for, for three years and I've shown no progress. You look after them. Jesus says this, he goes on in verse 13, you feed them, but we've only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? Maybe you've been there. God, I don't have what it takes. But you feel and say, well, you do it. And then you look at what other people have and what other people are doing. 
and you become even more discouraged. But we're not a big church. We don't have this. We don't have that. He says, well, what do you have? And he says that there's five, that there's five loaves of fish, uh, bread and two fish. There are, for there are about 5,000 people there. And Jesus said, tell them to sit in groups of about 50. The people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, we know this story well, don't we? But do you notice what happened? A desolate place became a place of abundance. Five fish sandwiches become a banquet. What was not enough is now more than enough. You see, the story starts with, with, with meager resources, and it finishes with a surplus. And I share that simply because in God's hands, you're a loaf of bread. He has blessed you. He's covenanted to provide everything that you need. You don't need to look at others and say, well, I don't have what they've got. You have what you need. And as a loaf of bread in his hands, he's looked to the Father and said, Father, this is my beloved. Would you honor what they are about to do? And he says, Holy Spirit, come and, and do what only you can do. They don't think they have enough. They don't think they're worthy of it, but, but come. And the Holy Spirit comes, and then he breaks you. And out of that, incredible ministry flows. Miracles happen. You see, one of the things that I think we need to recognize in this season, as Christians, we're going to experience brokenness in ways we haven't before. We're going to experience what it means to, to have to yield things that we never thought would have to yield to the Lordship of Christ. Things that were precious to us, he's, he's going to ask us to lay on the altar. Things that we, we never thought we'd experience. Opposition. The reality is, you know, Wellington's not too dissimilar from Canberra's, except we're not planned. I could take you to places in our city that by virtue of standing with me, you will be abused and spat upon because I'm a Christian leader. I'm faced regularly with the choice. Do I stand or do I let God break me? Do I, do I, just, do I just fight back or do I say, God, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but if this is what it takes for your kingdom to come, you break me. Lord, if, if, if I've got to change my shirt three times a day, I'll do it. If it means that out of that, a miracle will flow and your kingdom will come. See, I want to encourage you to dream of what God could do if you allow him to take you, to bless you and break you, to feed a generation that is starving of hope that is starving of faith and life. Imagine what could happen. Imagine the difference you could make. Imagine the lives that could be changed, the families restored, 
the hope that's awakened that leads people from, from despair into the fullness of life. The world is hungry for hope, and friends, that's our currency, hope. A hope that does not disappoint. See, we need more than anything now to be caught up with a dream that will restore health to us, to our churches, to our communities, to our cities, and to nations. And I think this is the best time for it because one of the buzzwords that was around during COVID is that there's no going back. We speak of a new normal. Now think about what that implies for a moment. It means that it's all new as a blank piece of paper. Let me tell you that as you begin to dream, nobody has yet walked in 2023. So you can do whatever you want. Nobody has yet walked in your 2024. You can do what you want. Nobody has yet walked in the future except the one who holds all things in the palm of his hand, who knows tomorrow as though it were yesterday. And he's on the other side and he's saying, would you dream again in me? Because I want to pour out my spirit upon you and captivate your heart, not with the circumstances of this world, but with the richness of my kingdom so that you can restore hope and health to a generation that I gave my life for. And then he will lead you by his spirit into it. Will it be easy? I suspect not. Will it be lonely? I think so. But will it be filled with joy? You can bet on it. Because with joy, we draw from the well of salvation. And every day we're drawing from that well and reminding ourselves that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because his spirit is at work in us. We are drawing with joy, and a joy transforms everything. So I want to encourage you to dream, not to be constrained by the past, to expectations, to previous models of how things were done or what you think ought to be done, but to dream and imagine what can be, because you were created for just such a time as this. As I say, if you take Psalm 139 seriously, we can't keep living with the disconnect that, yes, I know that God fearfully and wonderfully made me and not grasp that that means he purposed us for now. Where you are, with the people that you're with, now. And so if you capture a dream, imagine the change that you could bring about. See, every day, as you arise, God is weeping as he rips up the plan book that he had for 165 lives that have been taken in this nation before they even came to be born. Every day, God weeps over the 43,000 people incarcerated in this nation because their lives went off the rails, because there was no one there to bring hope. There was no one there to help them understand that they weren't broken, they were lost. That there was a Father in heaven who loved them more than their earthly fathers. That there was a, a, a friend that was closer than a brother that would do what no one else could and as rich as the fellowship and the sense of identity and security may have been in gangs and all sorts of other places, there was something greater. And they're there 
because we, we fail to dream. And they need, they need us to dream on their behalf so we can restore health. One in 10 people in Canberra live below the poverty line. One in 10. What would a dream begin to do for these stats? What would a dream look like birthed, supported, nurtured by the people of God and, and fueled by the Holy Spirit? What, what would it look like in, in, this, in this city to see those people begin to experience hope and life and purpose and health in Jesus Christ? We've got to have a dream. And so as I close, I, wanna, I, want, to, I want you to think about this for a moment. You know, we talk an awful lot in, in churches about saying, God, you know, what do you want me to do with my life? I've been there, you've been there. You do it, I do it. But what if we were to change the script up instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? We were to say, God, what do you want me to do with what I already have? What do you want me to do with where I'm already placed? God, how do you want me to, to live where I already do? so that instead of looking for a change, we get a dream of how where we are can bring about God's kingdom purposes. Does it make sense? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just quietly begin to think, God, what do you want me to do with what I have? And then I'm going to ask you to begin to surrender that you know, we're all familiar with Romans 12, 1, and we talk about being living sacrifices and everything else. I, I think that we miss something here because we know that they're referencing the Old Testament whole thing of the sacrifice and all those things. And that, here's the deal. For an animal to be a sacrifice, number one, it had to be dead. And number two, it was never considered holy until it was on the altar. Even dead, it wasn't considered holy. See, it's not, we have to learn to die to self and get up on the altar of sacrifice. Say, God, what do you want me to do with what you've already given me? God, would you give me a dream for where I am and what could be? And then just let him begin to fan it into flame. Because I think that what you guys have is, is, is precious, it's, it's exciting. And it's, it's fresh and it's for the season. And I just want to encourage you, don't just treasure it for, for what it is. Dream about what it could become and see health restored, hope reawakened, lives changed and, and communities impacted. Because as that begins to happen, let me tell you, heaven rejoices and the joy that so many of us yearn for, we will begin to experience. And at that point, you're making this nation great. And you're bringing God's name to bear. And from there, who knows what can happen. So can I ask you to stand? You know, if you came here this morning and you're, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and, and you've been... <clears throat> you know, you're on that journey of discovery. 
I'm not gonna ask you to come out the front or anything like that. I, I think that you're much too precious to the Father for that. To it, to it. What I'm gonna ask you to do is talk to the person who bought you and say, you know what? I'm in that place where I really want that type of life. I want to experience that type of, of purpose and, and hope and, and all those things. And they will, they will help you uh, unpack that. And they, they will help you understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Because it's not a one-off decision. It's a lifetime thing. And you can't just, we can make an emotional response, but, you know, it's, it's a lifelong thing and, and you need people with you. You know, I'm only a father because I have kids. I'm only a husband because I have a wife. I'm only a pastor because I have a congregation. We're defined by relationships. And, and so you need people around you. So talk to them. But here's the rest of you. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take a moment and begin this process of dreaming again and saying, God, here I am. And just begin to flesh that out with them because I just sense the Spirit of God is, is hovering over in places. I just think that I just think that you're incredible. You know, I just I just see a joy in you that that is just waiting to break out. You know, you're like a firecracker that has yet to be truly lit. And, and I just want to encourage you because you may, no matter what others may have said or how you see yourself, I, I, you bring so much delight to the Father. You have no idea how He rejoices in you. Maybe there's been times and you've, you, you've delighted in God but wondered. And I want to tell you, don't wonder. He delights in you like, man, He just thinks you're gorgeous. He just thinks you are the apple of His eye. And you need to start dreaming. If I am a daughter of the King, what can't I do? Stop saying, what can I do? What can't I do? Flip it around, and then he will begin to speak to you about dreams. There's been things that you've hidden in your heart and never told people about, and that's from him, and he wants to fan it into flame because you are so precious to him. I just, Lord, I just pray that right now you begin, as we yield ourselves to you, that, Lord, you would help us learn to, we talk about being about being dead to sin and alive to you, but Lord, we need to be dead enough on your altar that we might truly become holy sacrifices, that you can begin to mold and shape us according to the plans and purposes you have for us. And as we begin to do that, Lord, bring to mind those things that, that are holding us back, that we might let go of them, die to them, And Lord, as we do that and we say, here I am. Lord, I pray that you'd pour out your spirit now in, in this auditorium and, and you begin to stir hearts and, and captivate minds with what can be. And you begin to birth dreams that may not even make sense right now, but, but it begins to stir something. And as they, they share that with others, that they get a clearer picture. And, and out of that becomes an understanding and an awareness and Lord, I pray that you would fan that into flame. That Lord, the reputation of divergent would be their zeal for your kingdom. And that Lord, they would live powerfully and humbly out of the power of your Holy Spirit, bringing hope, restoring health, 
Lord God, to those around them. Lord, I thank you that, that Lord, there is a, the heart of mission in this, in, in this place. And I pray that you would fan it into flame, that you would give people a heart for others that, that surpasses anything that they've known before. And I begin to dream of ways of, of bringing your kingdom to bear and creative and powerful ways. So Lord, have your way with stir hearts. Captivate us. In Jesus' precious name.